0: Racing Peace acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast was recorded and edited. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and future and acknowledge that this was, is and always will be Aboriginal land.
1: We need the voices of, of groups in the Asia-Pacific to really show great leadership at this time.
2: It is my contention that uh, it was never a proposition that Australia get nuclear submarines.
0: Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Raising Peace podcast. Australia's new strategic alliance with the US and United Kingdom, AUKUS, brings challenges to a peaceful future. And not only for Australia and its immediate neighbourhood, it's also a real concern for the US and the UK themselves. We explored this issue at our 2022 Raising Peace Festival where we heard from speakers from each country in the Alliance. Our podcast will end with an AUKUS update. Kate Hudson is General Secretary of the United Kingdom Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament. Bruce Gagnon from the USA is Coordinator and Co-Founder of the Global Network Against Weapons and Nuclear Power in Space. But we start with the much-admired political commentator and retired diplomat Bruce Hay. Bruce sadly passed away this year and is missed by many. This podcast is dedicated to Bruce in recognition of his lifelong commitment to peace. Bruce Hay began his address by pointing out
3: that the August Pact came into existence without any substantial information being placed before the Parliament or the public. He saw it as an opportunistic move by the USA, taking advantage of the anticipated defeat of the Morrison government.
2: My belief is that AUKUS came into being uh, not long before the last government um, lost the election. Uh, the Americans could see uh, that the that, uh, Morrison, who was the prime minister, was unlikely to be re-elected and uh, he was uh, their safest bet together with... Dutton, who was the Minister for Defence, in getting uh, an arrangement in place that would enable the Americans to base to and increase the size of their uh, forces in Australia.
3: Haig fancied that the cancellation of the French submarines was likely instigated by the USA. He doubted the UK's ability to extend its area of operations to Southeast Asia and questioned the capacity of either the USA or the UK to build and provide nuclear subs to Australia. However, his main point was his view that AUKUS is a smokescreen to allow the USA to base its submarines in Australia.
2: It is my contention that uh, it was never a proposition that Australia get nuclear submarines. It was always a smokescreen for the Americans to base their submarines here, and that's what they're uh, setting out to do. Uh, Stirling, which is a naval base in Western Australia, just very close to Perth, is being upgraded to take American nuclear submarines. And uh, the Americans, or the Australians and the Americans, are looking for a site on the eastern coast, maybe Newcastle, Wollongong, to uh, build another submarine base out of mid-term, uh, mid-range uh, of um, Chinese um, missiles.
3: He anticipated that American submarines will have Australian personnel as crew members and suggested that this will be portrayed as an interim measure, while the pretense that Australia will acquire its own vessels continues. Moving on to the aspects of AUKUS other than submarines, he expressed the view that the main purpose of the agreement is to expand the US military presence in Australia with more equipment, resources and military personnel for example, at Tyndall RAAF Base.
2: What they call the joint facility at Pine Gap has been doubled in size uh, to uh, basically to watch China and to to have China uh, in its scope for all sorts of reasons, that is for observation and also for armed operations.
3: Perhaps Haig's greatest concern was about what he called a zone of confrontation taking shape in northern Australia.
2: Now, the Americans' intention is to establish the north of Australia as a, a zone of confrontation uh, of China. They, In the Second World War, America used Australia as a jumping-off point to launch its attacks against the Japanese in the islands, so Australia became a, a bread bowl and also a, a training base for large numbers of American troops and, and, uh, and so on. The The idea now is to turn the north of Australia into a a place from which America can, if well, certainly intimidate and threaten China, but if necessary, to um, carry out offensive operations against China, either with respect to Taiwan or with respect to the South China Sea or both. That will mean that um, the United States will direct. Australian naval and air um, assets because they'll be integrated into American uh, American formations. And it means that they'll probably establish a, uh, a joint command center in Darwin, uh, which will be basically run by the Americans and that will be, they'll put a large zone with Darwin at the center around the northern parts of Australia, including the ocean, and any aircraft that fly into that zone will re- need to report to, the, to this particular facility, and the same with uh, vessels that are in, the, uh, in that zone.
3: Haig returned to his initial point about the lack of information in the public domain. He said, we the public don't know what is in the agreement and deplore the short time frame given to the ALP to examine the arrangements. He finished with a grim warning that, in his view, the USA is actively preparing for war with China.
2: It would be my contention that the Americans are preparing for war against China, and they want it, and they want to give China a flick. They want to put China in its place. They believe that they can do it, um, and it's the most mistaken belief I think that the Americans have ever had and that includes Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan. It's it's their DNA of the uh, American military industrial complex just is is fixed on uh, uh, warfare and producing weapons of war, and then ultimately using those weapons. And I, there's just an inevitability about what's happening, and the fact that they've seen Australia as such a patsy and as so convenient. For, um, for, for advancing these plans. We know that the Americans are up in, or increasing the capacity of Guam and no doubt other uh, facilities that they've got.
3: The second speaker was Kate Hudson from the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament, who spoke from the UK. As an anti-nuclear activist, Hudson began by questioning the legality of Australia acquiring nuclear submarines under the terms of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty she went on to reiterate doubts that Australia would ever acquire them.
4: The focus here in in understanding what was going on, particularly from us in the anti-nuclear movement, was the centerpiece of the pact, that this provision of nuclear-powered subs to Australia and all the questions it's raised around proliferation, our understanding is that it's illegal under international law in, in the terms of the NPT and so on. Um, but what has become clear over the past year is the inability of the US and the UK to actually provide these submarines for Australia certainly as uh, Bruce mentioned uh, in the short to medium term and um, we're starting to think now that this means that other elements of the treaty are gaining more significance and other ways are being developed to use Australia's geographical location and its resources for military purposes in the the US build-up against China.
3: Hudson stressed the significance of the new agreement which is seen by the UK as a cost-saving development that had been presented to the British Parliament as a splendid arms sales opportunity.
4: At the time of announcing the PACs, the chair of the Parliamentary Foreign Affairs Committee commented, he said, bringing together the military industrial complex of these three allies is a step change in the relationship. We've always been interoperable, but this aims at much more. We will be able to cost save by increasing platform sharing and innovation costs particularly for the smaller two countries, that's game changing. So it's certainly in terms of British strategic thinking, this is a big factor.
3: However, she went on to explain that there is little likelihood that the UK will have the capacity to build submarines for the purpose of selling them to Australia because of delays in production and doubts that the UK's own fleet of submarines can reach its intended size. She also mentioned U.S. Rear Admiral Popano's assertion that the USA's shipyards would be overburdened if they were to supply
4: Australia. But of course, as Bruce also touched on, this is looking unlikely and any thought that Britain could build subs for Australia is just not viable. And Britain is currently building two classes of submarine and it's struggling with both. I mean, the capacity for Britain to deliver these kinds of things is it's just not really credible. Hudson
3: also outlined problems with the reactors and with finding personnel to crew the vessels.
4: In addition, there have been problems with the submarine reactor, the nuclear reactor to power the submarines, um, problems with the ones currently in use. That's led to further delays with the new model and there is also recognition of a huge skills shortage in the sector and a lack of capacity to take on extra work so why our government was kind of leading other people to believe that this might be a possibility i mean who really knows
3: meanwhile government representatives are talking up the other aspects of the agreement
4: they said they were commencing new trilateral cooperation on hypersonics and counter-hypersonics, so the hypersonics is becoming a big deal now, electronic warfare capabilities, information sharing expansion, more cooperation on innovation, cyber, AI, quantum technologies undersea capabilities and so on. So a kind of massive expansion of cooperation in these areas.
3: Summarizing, Hudson said that no one knows where Australia's submarines will come from.
4: Could it be a a new sub from the US further down the line or US subs put together in Australia? Someone has even been talking about co-production from the three countries where there are bits from each. And I've even read now that it's being suggested that the French will come back in.
3: Hudson sees the submarine plans as undeliverable and regrets the wider implication of the expansion of the UK and US's military ambitions that AUKUS represents.
4: I could say then that the submarine plans, well, they can be described as a sorry story of over-grandiose, undeliverable plans. Um, But this can't detract from what AUKUS means in wider terms. Um, Not only does it exemplify the UK government's vision of a global Britain that is big on the international military stage, um, that bases its economy on the arms industry, it's also a significant factor in the US's drive to maintain global dominance and its push into the Asia Pacific. And of course, Nancy Pelosi's recent visit to Taiwan indicates the US is pushing hard in this direction without concern, seemingly, for the risks that are promoted.
3: She finished with an outline of the dangers of AUKUS as seen by other countries, particularly China, and appealed for international cooperation between peace-oriented people.
4: The dangers of AUKUS are widely recognised by other states in the region, many expressing concern about it. And of course, China recognises the specific dangers presented by AUKUS and in fact China raised this the the particular nuclear element at last month's NPT review conference in New York and it said uh, AUKUS would set a dangerous precedent and have a profound negative impact on global strategic balance and stability so to conclude chair I would say that international cooperation is needed Uh, between the movements in our countries and beyond, not only to oppose the specifics of the AUKUS agreement, but the whole escalatory framework of US policy. And of course, CND, my own organization, supports the peaceful development of a multipolar world, not unipolar global military domination.
3: The final speaker was Bruce Gagnon from the U.S.-based Global Network Against Nuclear Weapons and Nuclear Power in Space. Gagnon opened by referring to a 1997 U.S. government document, Vision for 2020, which promotes U.S. domination in space.
1: In 1997, the U.S. Space Command created a document called Vision for 2020, where they talked about the United States would control space, which would allow them to then control the earth below as well. That everything, all warfare uh, in these days is coordinated and directed by space technology. So it's very clear to me that the uh, overarching goal of the United States is domination of the entire planet on behalf of corporate uh, globalization.
3: Ganyan stressed the willingness of the USA to go to war with both China and Russia and that it is moving in the direction of global war.
1: But the US is indeed serious about going to war with China, as others have already said, just as uh, we see the United States is uh, willing to go to war with Russia today, using Ukraine as a hammer in its toolbox to try to take down Uh, Russia. So clearly, the United States is moving towards global war that is likely if they continue on their present course to turn nuclear.
3: Ganyan drew attention to the rise of the BRICS group comprising Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, and the likely emergence of a multipolar world, which will be a challenge to the continuation of US dominance.
1: So the US and the other uh, countries in the West know that there's a massive challenge underway and they're on the losing end of it Uh, the west is uh, maybe what 20 percent of the world population as compared to the global south when you add them all up and so they're very desperate in this moment as they see their long reign of colonial powers fading away
3: he argued that this situation is making the usa more desperate And that this desperation lies behind moves to expand NATO into a global military alliance through which the USA could go to war without reference to the United Nations. He went on to outline the roles of countries in our region in this NATO expansion.
1: Australia, New Zealand, South Korea, Japan, other countries in the Asia Pacific signed up as partners in this NATO expansion. And we see this ever expanding uh, military bases on Guam in uh, South Korea and on Jeju Island in South Korea, Okinawa, Philippines, all kinds of other places where the United States is is expanding its operations. And as Bruce earlier said, uh, U.S. expanding its bases in Pine Gap and in Darwin and other parts of Australia.
3: Ganyan made special mention of Rocket Lab in New Zealand, which was established as a launch site for civilian ventures into space, but which has since been taken over by defence multinational company Lockheed Martin. He said that every launch so far has actually been military. He conjectured that the USA is developing a worldwide network of similar rocket launch facilities.
1: And I wonder, as the United States is creating a whole string of rocket launch facilities around the planet Uh, and then and in every case people are promised that they're going to be civilian uh, they're they're going to be for uh, you know environmental studies Uh, but in the end the military takes them over and lockheed martin seems to be a favorite uh, 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 factor in those takeovers i wonder if they're at some point Uh, creating this capability that they will be able to launch multiple uh, nuclear launches uh, or even conventional launches against Russia and China as part of a global first strike strategy from this string of launch facilities around the world. Uh, It's something I think that we should be paying close attention to.
3: Ganyan finished by pointing out that the USA is determined to remain at the apex of the command structure, and that Australia is a junior partner in this arrangement. He regretted that the peace movement in the USA is somewhat divided over Ukraine, and that that has diverted attention away from the Asia-Pacific region. Ganyan finished by saying that it is crucial that peace groups in the Asia-Pacific, and Australia in particular, take the lead in drawing attention to the current situation.
1: It's crucial that uh, people in Australia are really talking about this because I must say that in the United States, the peace movement distracted and divided over Ukraine right now is really not focusing that closely on the Asia Pacific region. And so we really need your leadership and from your peace movement uh, in the uh, in the region. And everyone else, uh, I noticed that Cora is on here from, on this call from uh, the Philippines. We need the voices of, of groups in the Asia-Pacific to really show great leadership at this time. And I promise you that we'll do everything that we can uh, to help amplify that. But uh, most peace groups in the United States are just really behind the eight ball when it comes to this particular issue.
3: A lot has happened with AUKUS since this discussion. Nick Dean from the Australian Anti-AUKUS Coalition has an update.
5: We need to remember that AUKUS covers a range of military activities, not just submarines. And when you look at that figure picture, things have been happening at quite a pace over the last year, both in implementing and resisting AUKUS. For example, we learnt last November that US B-52 bombers, which may be nuclear-armed, could be stationed in the Northern Territory at Tyndall. But the major development came on the 14th of March, when the agreement between the parties, the USA, the UK and Australia, was signed with a great deal of pageantry in San Diego, California. This was followed in April by the release of the Defence Strategic Review, which gave further impetus to AUKUS. Last July, the annual Osman discussions between senior ministers of the USA and Australia reaffirmed the government's commitment to AUKUS and furthermore introduced US personnel into Australia's intelligence agencies. The government is also implementing legislation to facilitate AUKUS. One bill has allowed for nuclear propulsion for nuclear submarines to be exempted from previous legislation. And legislation that's before the Parliament at the moment will create nuclear zones. What's been happening in the public debate? Many in the the mainstream media support AUKUS. The increasingly militarised mindset of public debate was displayed early in March this year, when there was a truly shocking series of newspaper articles that postulated a direct military threat to Australia from China. Universities, too, have come on board. They're offering courses related to nuclear submarines and nuclear technology. And industry leaders are again promoting nuclear technology. The recent Indo-Pacific 2023 exp- naval exposition held in Sydney placed great emphasis on the business opportunities offered by AUKUS. And perhaps most importantly, even high school students are being targeted and asked to participate in a nuclear submarine challenge.
3: How have those who oppose AUKUS responded to all this?
5: Well, we've been very busy. Um, It's sometimes hard to keep up. But the proponents of AUKUS are not easily deterred. Um, The march towards future militarisation of Australia is continuing at a pace. Members of the Australian, and particularly the Sydney Anti-AUKUS Coalition, regularly protest events, such as the Indo-Pacific Expo, We work hard to raise awareness, for example, through raising peace in response to the signing of the AUKUS Agreement, a public meeting on March 19th under the title, Will Our Peace Be Shattered, was very well attended. We are fortunate to have Bob Carr at that event, and other public figures have also been active. Paul Keating has been particularly outspoken. The Australia Institute has published a strong rebuttal of AUKUS. Even Sam Roggeveen of the Lowy Institute has published a book that effectively dismantles all the pro-AUKUS arguments. Ipan has published an open letter signed by numerous influential people. So opposition to AUKUS at the community level is growing. Within the Labour Party, there's Labour Against War that has emerged. The Greens have a peace and anti-AUKUS campaign. There are anti-AUKUS community organisations in most states, coordinated by the Australian anti Coalition. Now, thoughtful criticism of AUKUS is seldom found in the mainstream media, but it's prolific in smaller, mainly online publications such as Pearls and Irritations. It comes from Activists, academics, and intellectuals, they're raising questions about the strategic implications of AUKUS, about nuclear aspects, proliferation, and the risk of pollution, about the nature of our alliance with the USA, whether Australia will really have sovereign control over the submarines. And underlying all of them is the question, what is the rationale for AUKUS? Because No answer to that most basic question has ever satisfactorily been supplied. But it is fair to say that AUKUS orients Australia towards preparations for and actually going to war. It turns the nation's face away from peace.
3: There is plenty still to do. What's next?
5: Well, Raising Peace has joined with IPAN. Australians for War Powers Reform, and the Maritville Peace Group, and expressing opposition to AUKUS. Demonstrations are currently being planned for significant commemorative dates, and we can look forward to events in March and September next year, 2024. AUKUS makes it vital for the vast majority who want peace to prevail to make their voices heard, August's proponents will take silence and inaction as indications of complicity when the reality is that they are rushing us down a path that has war at its end.
0: You've been listening to the Raising Peace podcast. This episode was dedicated to our first speaker, the late Bruce Hay, former political commentator and diplomat. You also heard from Kate Hudson from the UK and Bruce Gagnon from the US. From Raising Peace, the episode was produced and edited by James Cox and Nick Dean. From Audiocraft, the episode was mixed and edited by Glenn Morrow. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
5: And thanks for listening.